Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to get into the Word this morning. Uh, I do have a word for you. Uh, Turn with me to Isaiah 59, verse 14. Linda Moon, are you here? Wave at me. Linda Moon prayed this out this week during prayer, and it shot through me like a cannon, and I have not been able to shake this verse. I've been in it, this passage, and uh, so I want to to read this to you. And uh, before we get into that, though, I want us to, well, let let me put it this way. About three, four years now, I have been asking the Lord about one principle. I've been asking him about this principle of, God, what makes you step into the battle? You know, usually God operates through people. Matter of fact, he works through a hierarchy of people. That's true on earth. You know, governmental hierarchies that we see all over, that is because that is the pattern of heaven. God ordained that, and that we, we're raised up under authority, you know, people with authority, we learn how to operate it, and we're promoted into authority, and the next generation comes behind, and that's just the way of God, and that is reflected in heaven. In heaven, there's a hierarchy of authority, and at the top of that hierarchy is what is called the divine council, and God is the, the, the leader of the divine council. Uh, I wasn't taught this in Bible school, I've, I've mentioned this on, on a couple of other occasions, it's just been intriguing to me uh, over the last couple of years getting into this subject, uh, but God operates, operates through layers of leadership, a hierarchy. He operates in the heavenlies by a divine council. This council is made up of sons. We see this in Job 1 where he gathered the sons of God. It is referred to by the term the divine council in both Psalm 82 and Psalm 86. In Daniel 11, we see an example of the divine council scene. And so God is used to operating through a hierarchy. There's there's a hierarchy of the angels. There are angels, just entry-level angels. I don't know what that looks like. But then there's archangels. And in the earth, the same thing. And when we pray, God, usually the answer to our prayer is God anointing a person or persons. And yes, there's angelic aid that goes with us. But there are a few times in Scripture where it said God fought for them. And I've been asking the Lord about this for the last couple years. Lord, what is it that triggers you? You know, we use that term, oh, that triggered him. What triggers God? What provokes God to enter the battle? What are the dynamics that would cause God to step into the fray? Because I'm telling you right now, we need God to enter the battle in this nation. And so I've been asking the Lord that for a couple of years now and haven't really gotten any answers. You know, I think sometimes the Lord doesn't give us an immediate answer to our prayer because he just likes to hang out with us and have us asking him things. (laughs) And if that's the only way he can get you in his presence, he'll provoke questions and then just withhold them for a while. So you'll hang out with them. But I'm telling you, if you will ask and keep on asking, 
Ask and keep on asking. God will give you answers. One of the keys to wisdom is persistence. It's hunger. It's that persistent hunger that says, I've got to know this, Lord. And we keep on coming back. And that is, that is not the low-lying fruit of wisdom. That's the higher-level fruit. I know I'm going to go down a little rabbit trail. I don't have a lot of time for rabbit trails this morning. But there are, there are levels of wisdom in Scripture. When Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened to you, that's three levels of wisdom demanding three levels of effort from the prayer. There's some wisdom that's just for the asking that's talked about in James 1. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. It's just right there. God's just waiting for you to ask and he'll give it to you. Then there's the seeking and seeking for wisdom. You have to seek for something that's hidden. And there's the hidden wisdom of God we see in 1 Corinthians. It says, had the, the rulers of this dark age known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Problem is, a lot of times it's hidden to you and I too. And so we need to ask. But then there's the knocking and the keep on knocking. And we're in one of those seasons where we need a people that will knock and keep on knocking. James chapter 1 is ask. Proverbs chapter 2 is seeking. Seek for wisdom. Cry out for understanding. And you'll be given it. But then there's the knocking on the door. We see this in Hebrew, or Ephesians rather, chapter 2, where it says that there's a wisdom that is hidden within God himself. It's called the unsearchable wisdom. The Greek word for unsearchable literally means there's no tracks. You're not going to be able to look at the lay of the land and figure, oh, that's where they hid the treasure. Because it's hidden. It's, it's unsearchable. It, it can only be... Uh, entered into by revelation. And that's where we knock and keep on knocking. It's behind lock and key. And the vault is the heart of God himself. And we need that right now. So I've been on one of those just asking the Lord and uh, seeking the Lord on this. And when Linda Moon prayed this out, she gave me the answer of when, what, what is one of the triggers that... Uh, initiates heaven's involvement. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that you enlist us in your government. That you don't just release edicts and move upon us. Lord, as some dear saints believe, that you simply work all events according to your will but Lord, that you delegate that to us and we will give an answer to you. Lord, I thank you that you've given us this powerful governing weapon called prayer. And we can initiate your involvement. And Lord, I thank you that there are times when the answer is you clothe yourself for battle and you step into the fray. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us this morning and help us to understand. Amen. Amen. All right. So, I've been asking the Lord about this, and, you know, it, it begs the question, is, is it just an anomaly when the Lord steps into battle? There are several passages in Scripture where you see this, but it is rare. It's not the normal operations. 
It's, it's a rare thing. When God steps into the fray himself, he personally enters into the battle. And so it begs the question, is it, is it just an arbitrary thing that God just, ah, I kind of feel like fighting today. I'm going to get in on this. Or is it, are there specific circumstances which trigger God's involvement? Uh, one such place is Exodus chapter 10. We're not going to turn there. We don't have time. Uh, Exodus chapter 10. But it's, it's where uh, Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. And the Gibeonites are freaked out because Jericho has, has been taken by the Gibeonites. So the Gibeonites, remember they dress up in their oldest clothes, their old work clothes, you know. My brother teases me because I still have, I have clothes from 30 years ago. And uh, I, I still wear them, not, not up here, but I still wear them. And so I, I, that was what I'd wear if I was doing the Gibeonite con thing, you know. You, you wear, they wore old clothes, took old bread, and they came to the Israelites and said, we came from a far land, <gasps> and we're here to make peace with you. And they said, well, how do we know you're from a far land? Well, look at our sandals, look at our bread. And they said, we're, we just heard about your, they're, they're really putting the butter on thick. We've heard about your Lord, you're, you're the Lord God Jehovah, and we want to make an alliance with you. And they said, and it says, they did not pray about it. And they entered into an alliance with them, only to find out they're just up the road. But it was a major city. It was, it was called one of the royal cities. And so now the five kings of the Amorites are freaking out because not only did Jericho fall, but Gibeah is now, Gibeon has now surrendered to them and, may, and become a subservient to the Israelite troops. And so they're freaking out. And they're, they said, man, we got it because it was one of the larger cities. And so these five kings come after Gibeah, uh, the Gibeonite city. They're going to tear it down and they're going to, uh, you know, battle against it. And so they send word to Joshua and Joshua rouses the troops and said, hey, we entered into covenant with these guys, like it or not. You know, come hell or high water, we're going to defend them. And they came and they made war against these five kings. And in the, in the uh, circumstances that are surrounding that battle, they're, they're chasing those kings. And all of a sudden, large hailstones start to fall out of heaven. And it says the hail, that's some big hail. The hail killed more than the sword. That's a bad storm, my friend. That's the storm you want to be in the windshield business when it hits. You know, I mean, it was killing people and God entered into the battle. It says God fought for Israel. So it's an intriguing thing to me. There's a scenario where God enters into the battle. And I'm not sure on this one, okay? I'm just telling you my, my thoughts that it just may be that when you swear to the truth to your own hurt, says that in Psalm 15, when you swear to the truth of, with, to your own hurt, that Joshua was willing to, to his own detriment, stand by his word. God will back you when you do that. You know, this morning, during, right after worship, uh, one of the teens came up to me, and uh, one, of the, one of the young guys, and he said, uh, Pastor Dave, I need to talk to you. And he showed me a picture of one of my vehicles that he ran into. And just a little scratch. He said, I don't think it's permanent. I think it can rub off, but I just wanted you to know. And if, if you need to give me a call, that, my friend, is somebody will walk in the favor of God. Because our character is seen in the circumstances that we can get away with. When we can get away with something in secret, our, 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 our character is revealed in those situations. 
And there's something of the favor of God when we'll do that. And so Joshua, that, that was an example of God coming and uh, fighting for them. Uh, let me give you a little advertisement as a side note. I wrote this down. Rob Dreher, is that how you say his name? Rob Dreher is a, uh, a book my son Evan recommended to me, Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. I would recommend you to read that. It's not a big book. And uh, what he's talking about is, he's, he's talking about what happens when a, uh, a nation moves into Marxist ideals. And how does a Christian respond? And he interviews a lot of people that were, that were raised in the Soviet bloc company, countries. And uh, it's just a fascinating book. In it, he exposes the nature of soft totalitarianism. And he points out that in this nation, totalitarianism is not so much coming through the government, although the government is keeping their hands off too much. It's coming through companies. And so it's this cultural wokeness that causes them to punish anybody that doesn't keep their party line. And I think we're just on the front end of this, my friend. And so those who will speak the truth, even to their own hurt, will be a precious commodity. Because it will often cost you when you do so. And we've seen it many times. People, people with lucrative jobs, they'll go back and they start digging back through your history and finding out, you know, what, what you posted at one time. So they're going to they're gonna take it on. My goodness, if you want to you see a mess, I, there wasn't Facebook when I was growing up, thank God. I mean, I probably wouldn't be a pastor. I'm still concerned about some things floating up. Every now and then there's, I wonder if that's still out there. It, it uh, <laughs> There's grace and maturity. There, maturity is a process. And there are differing views. And one of the great things about our country is the ability to discuss differing views without getting angry at each other and biting each other's heads off. But swearing to the truth, even to your own hurt, is going to be a precious commodity. Real quick here. The other one we see in 1 Samuel chapter 14 uh, God stepped in with Jonathan, where Jonathan, uh, we, we talked about this a number of months ago when we were talking about the honey, and uh, hallelujah, I can taste it. The, talking about the honey, you don't want to talk about food on a fast. Uh, I know it's spiritual honey, but I'm, I'm drooling right now. Uh, where Jonathan tells his armor bearer, he said, hey, we're going to, let, let's go over to the Philistine citadel and see if they want to fight. Two guys against a whole citadel, you think they might want to fight? And sure enough, and Jonathan throws this crazy fleece out before the Lord. He said, if they tell us to come up and fight, then we'll know it's the Lord. But if, if, we, if they come down to us, uh, then we'll know it's, it's not the Lord. So they, being lazy Philistines, hey, come up here, we'll give you some. It's the Lord. <laughs> so they start climbing a cliff. They can't hold their sword. I mean, it is the most indefensible position militarily-wise, and God routes the enemy, and 25 men fall within a half acre, and then fear falls on the whole camp, not just those guys, throughout the Philistine uh, military, and then an earthquake comes. I mean, that's God stepping into the battle, my friend. Earthquakes, hailstones, that's some pretty good stories. <laughs> <laughs> 
So God stepped in and God backed Jonathan's crazy, radical faith. And in the coming days, we're going to need people who we're going to need to be, people who will speak the truth even to their own hurt. We're going to need people who have crazy, radical faith and are willing to step out and do things that are seemingly crazy, but God's going to use it to rout the enemy. But the most important one is Isaiah 59. Look at this, verse 14. Well, let's look to the uh, verse 1 and 2 here. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened it cannot, that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But... Here's the but. This, he's saying, God, God, the problem on your prayers is not on God's end, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In other words, the hardness of your heart is keeping God from listening to you. There's a verse, I want to say it's in Zechariah. It just says it very concisely. I will not hear them. They, uh, when they pray, I will not listen because when I spoke, they would not hear. What God is essentially saying is, hey, listen, this is a two-way street. This is a relationship. I'm not a genie that you rub my belly. That when I'm talking to you, you've got to honor my word so that when you talk to me, I'll honor yours. Hebrews chapter 5 puts it this way. It's talking about the same principle. In, G, in the days of Jesus' life, he, uh, he cried with uh, groans and, and, and loud petitions, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. In other words, his heart posture towards God out of the prayer closet determined how much he would be heard in the prayer closet. We can actually cancel out what we pray with our mouth with our actions outside the prayer meeting. And so the first wave of answered prayer usually is to adjust us. That's why people say, man, when I, I really started praying, I, I started having a prayer life and all hell broke loose, so I backed off. <laughs> well, that's because all hell needs to break loose. It needs to break loose off of you. And so when we start praying, God reaches in and begins to adjust us, and He's aligning us with Him. Because what God is looking for is somebody who is adjusted to his will. We don't want to just pray his will. I remember back in 1988, somebody donated a cassette tape to Teen Challenge, and I would stick it in the back uh, at the chapel, and I would put that thing in, and I would pray to that tape. And I didn't, I'd never heard this weird theology that was coming out of it. I, I, I can't, someone's going to, I think it was Rita Springer, and it was called Make Me a Prayer. Anybody heard that song? Make me a prayer. Let my heart, let, my, uh, let me be a cry. Uh, I don't even, it, it, but it was, it was about making her a prayer. And I would pray that and it was so strange. It was theologically, I, I'd never heard anybody talk like that, but my heart was drawn to it. It was like deep was calling unto deep. And that really is a scriptural prayer. The, 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 real, the beachhead of God's invasion is your heart. God wants to change us before he'll change anything else. And so the first phase of a prayer journey is God changing me. And I cry out, God, change this situation. And the first step in that is God says, okay, be kinder to your children. <laughs> That's not what I had in mind, Lord. You know, I'm talking about this important stuff. 
But God's saying, no, if you don't change that, I can't do that because he operates through man. And there's something about our surrender that makes us heard in heaven. Let me give you another version of that. First Peter chapter four, when it's talking about husbands and wives, wives, get your elbow ready, okay? <laughs> this is what Peter says. He says, husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. In other words, spend the rest of your life, your breathe, every breath, trying to figure that woman out. Because <laughs> it's going to take your whole life. And you're still going to be confused to the, at your funeral. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Maybe that was a little extreme. <laughs> yeah. I was going to side with the women, and here I stirred up the men. <laughs> it, uh, but he says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, that your prayers may be heard. In other words, your relationship with Mrs., the woman you took to yourself in covenant, gave your name and swore to protect, the way you treat her will absolutely affect the success of your prayer life. If you are treating your wife, harshly, then what will happen? There's going to be an iron ceiling over your head until you get it right. Now, we're all at different levels, guys. So if you fall, in, you know, you fall, get back up, repent quickly, remove, the, remove that. I'm not trying to put condemnation on anybody. We all have things to deal with. But I am telling you that that is one of the, you know why? Because marriage is one of God's primary discipleship courses. Now, I didn't plan on talking about any of this, but while we're here, my wife has access to things in my heart that nobody else has. It's not, I'm a very open person, probably too open. Some of you are saying, amen, pastor. You know, I'm, I'm a very open person. I, you know, I can keep a confidentiality, just not my own. You know, I'll tell you the most embarrassing things about myself, just... Come up afterwards and I'll give you a list. But in spite of that, there are things in my life that nobody has access to except my wife. And therefore, God uses her to get access to those things. And that's the nature of marriage because the two become one. And so God will use that to begin to deal with your life. And if you will respond to that, you can actually... I have been on fasts before where I just, I knew, it was like there was contention all around me relationally, and I had this understanding that I have just got to be really kind through all of this. And it's like everywhere I went, there was like this contention, and I just, I've got to be very kind. I'm driving down the road, some guy, you know, cuts me off, bless you, bless you. It's not my norm, but it's because I'm carrying a burden. I want to see a breakthrough. And I'm telling you, that is a very real principle. I'm not joking about that. That as we, as we allow the Lord to deal with us in a season of prayer, God is going to go deeper with us so he can begin to gain the ascendancy in that situation. And if we don't respond, he's going to have to find someone else. It's the way of the earth because God delegated the earth to man. And our surrender we are the beachhead of God's invasion. And so, all right. So it says, 
God is, God's hand is not short. He can deliver. Now look into verse 14. We're going to jump there. We don't have time to elaborate on this whole passage. Wow. You know, in that passage of Joshua, not only did hailstones come down, but he, he lifted his hands and he said, sun, stand still, moon, stand still. For 24 hours. It said for nearly a day. Can anybody believe with me for my sermon this morning? All right, I've got five minutes. Anybody want to stay in church for 24 hours? No one's with me. Okay. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. In other words, there, any recourse, when it goes to the courts, it's, it's refused. They won't even hear the evidence. And righteousness stands far away. Pretty soon, righteousness stands far off because righteousness is not accepted. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. The Hebrew word here indicates that it no longer has a place at the table. It's not allowed entrance. The culture has degenerated such that truth no longer has the power to enter the discussion. Sound familiar? Sound like social media? Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Now here's the really sinister thing, that those who do repent and try to live uprightly, they become the target. All of a sudden, there's a big red target on their chest. And what it does, it's this, it's this negative peer pressure to not live righteously, or at least shut up and keep it to yourself. We don't want to hear it. And one of the things that we need are meek but bold Christians. And those two things are not at odds with each other. Meekness is that it's, that, it's, not, it's not quick to wrath. It's, it's going to turn the other cheek. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll, uh, one guy said it's like an iron fist in a velvet glove. It's not we- meekness is not weakness. It's an iron fist in a velvet glove. It'll... You know, it'll put up with a lot personally, but it'll die defending God. And so, that bold, that's what we need right now. And so, he, he draws this scenario, this picture of what's going on in Israel, and then it says this, the Lord sought, and it displeased him. Man, when Linda read that out, I think it was Tuesday morning, I about did a Holy Ghost dance. The Lord sought, and it displeased him, that there was no justice He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. You see, God's first first step, the first thing he goes to, his first, uh, the first thing he's going to go to is he's going to look for a person. Is there a person that I can operate through? He's always looking for a man or a woman to intercede, to take action. But in this case, he couldn't find any. He wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to the deeds, he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands. He will render payment. I just thought that was interesting. He's talking about uh, the coasts, the coastal uh, well, we won't go into that. Um, 
So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and the glory of the Lord from the rising of the sun. In other words, the west coast and the east coast. Well, for he will come like a rushing stream and the wind of the Lord drives him. And a redeemer will come to Zion and those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord. Here's the thing. When there is no justice, when those who repent become a target, when they become the prey of others, when they're taken advantage of, when justice begins to break down in a country and the people of God cry out to the Lord, when there is no recourse, and I found myself praying that this week, Lord, we have no recourse left. The governing bodies are failing us. The courts are failing us, Lord. They won't even look at evidence. The the direction our nation is going. And let me say something. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ has us right where he wants us. Our only hope is Jesus. I believe we're in for a rough ride these next few years. I really do. But I'm telling you, back in 1988, it's 12 o'clock. Back in 1988, the Lord kept speaking this phrase to me. It'll be the best of times. It'll be the worst of times. I don't know how many times he told me that. It'll be the best of times It'll be the worst of times. And I knew he was talking about the future. I didn't know it'd be 30, you know, 30 years later. But I believe we're entering that time. It'll be the best of times and the worst of times. Now, I would love to be wrong on the second point. And if I am, I will gladly say, hey, I missed it. But I'm telling you, when the worst of times hit, the best of times are going to be for the church. For the church that will take a stand and cry out to him. Next week when we gather in here, let's get our worship on. Either way, whatever happens this week, whatever's going to go on. David Wilkerson had this, this newsletter called Right Song, Wrong Side. And it was about the children of Israel. They went into worship on the other side of the Red Sea. It was the right song, but it was the wrong side of the sea. They should have got their worship on on the other side. This is the hour for us to press in. This is the hour for us to cry out to the Lord. This is what we were made for. I want to remind you, church, God chooses the times and places in which men should live, and He chose you to live here now. This didn't take God by surprise. And the Lord custom fit you for the present hour. Okay, I'll close with this. (laughs) Go ahead and stand so you know I'll close. (laughs) Years ago, my dad and I were talking about the great, great men that rose up, the great leaders out of World War II, world-class leaders. You know, Winston Churchill, Patton, Eisenhower, some, some tremendous leaders. And, I, and then we were talking about the Civil War, and it's the same thing. And we were talking, and I, I thought, man, Dad, why, why, why was this? They had this disproportionate amount of great men during that time. And then it struck me, duh, 
It was the times that made the men. It was the crucible of history that forged and brought to the surface those qualities in those men, those women. And this is the time for us to step up and cry out to God. There's going to be great things in the church. I'm telling you, we are on an impending, uh, we're on a collision course with the move of God. God is going to pour out His Spirit on the church. And that one, I know I won't have to tell you I was wrong. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, I thank you for your people. Lord, I thank you, God, that when you look and there is no justice. Lord, when the, those who do repent become the prey, Lord, I thank you that it displeases you. And you first look for a man, look for a woman, someone to intercede. And when you don't find one, you put the armor on yourself. Lord, we're asking God, Lord, just as in the days of Joshua, Lord, as we are fighting a spiritual battle, Lord, that you would enter the fray. Lord, we're asking God, rouse yourself. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Lord, I'm asking God that you would strengthen us, pour out of your spirit upon us. And Lord, I'm asking that you would give us a holy boldness. Lord, a fearlessness. God, that the zeal, just as Isaiah's passage says that you clothed yourself with zeal, clothe us with the zeal of the Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before I let you go, one second. Just, I want to uh, share a couple things real quick. Uh, during worship, uh, I was going to have some people share them up here. But I'm not going to do that. But uh, Pam Prio came up this morning, and I believe it was from the Lord, and said that she felt uh, that this was, that it's the end of barrenness, that there's some of you that have been struggling. That may be physically, that may be spiritually, it may be uh, in a lot of ways. But uh, man, when she, when she shared that, I felt some weight on it. And so I want to I encourage you this morning, press in. If that's you, believe God for your breakthrough. This is the day. You, you, you can believe God. Grab onto that word and move into fruitfulness today. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.